we can't see you unfortunately so it's just going to be audio gotcha gotcha okay that's that's fine that's probably uh, less distracting anyway yeah, <laughs> yeah well we i did worry about our facial expressions <laughs> hi i'm jeremiah budin and i'm asad sarkat and this is the appeal the podcast from curve today we have guest justina blakeney she's based in la where as you all know the natural world is all around and she's very much inspired by that world and brings uh, its color and vibrancy into a lot of her designs. So we're going to talk to her about her interior design work, how she amassed a small country's worth of Instagram followers. <laughs> yes, we're going to see if she has a good security deposit return record. <laughs> and we're going to find out where I should get furniture from my apartment. So stick around. First of all, thank you so much for joining us. It is really a pleasure to have you chat with us for a little bit today. Um, and you're joining us from L.A. Um, by the magic of the Internet. So thanks. Yes. No, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm a, I'm a reader. I'm a fan. I'm happy to be here. Oh, that's lovely. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you to the internet. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you to the internet for making these things possible. Um, so I, I read that you have a degree in world arts and cultures from UCLA. And I'm very curious just about what that program was like and how that has informed your design sensibility, which I think I have some idea, but I'd like to hear it from you. Absolutely. Um, so when I first started at UCLA, I, I came in um, undecided. I didn't know what major I wanted to, to go into. And I've always kind of had a creative flair. And um, I knew I was interested in getting some theory and some background and not just doing sort of practical artistic applications. Mm. Um, so I kind of started to take classes here and there and got quite interested in sociocultural anthropology. And I, I don't think I knew anything about sociocultural anthropology before I started school. I, I think I was confusing anthropology with archaeology mm. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I first took my first um socio-cultural anthropology classes I was like oh okay it's like history of the present <laughs> mm, right. um, and and I it just sort of really enjoyed learning about the different cultures around the world and and how different and how beautiful um so many different aspects of of different cultures are so um, I took some classes here and there and then got wind of this new program that had actually just started the year before I started at UCLA, which was called World Arts and Cultures. And um, it was sort of weirdly integrated with the dance program at UCLA. Interesting. And Tell was, us more. <laughs> it was um, in the dance building. And when somebody wanted to study dance and graduate in dance from UCLA, the degree that they graduated in was world arts and cultures with a concentration in dance. Hmm. So they had these different concentrations in order to get an academic degree. Um, you know, you had to learn the, the theory behind everything, obviously. Um, but then in the dance major, you could also take, you know, tons of different dance classes. Um, but then a part of this degree is you could, choose your own concentration or design your own concentration. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what I decided to do. So, um, so I graduated in world arts and cultures and took a lot of anthropology classes, also took a lot of art history courses, sociology classes, um, and in a lot of different cultural departments in the African-American studies department. Um, I took a lot of like African-American art classes and, all different kinds of things that interested me, which I was kind of allowed to do because in a way I designed my own major um, mm. because the World Arts and Cultures program was had a few core classes. But other than that, it was nested within other programs at the school. So um, 
That's so amazing. And, I mean, I feel like that's such a that's such a unique path for someone who ends up in interior design to take, but it makes a lot of sense. Like when you really think about all of the elements of designing and, you know, the the types of things that kind of fuel people's creative processes like that, that sounds really rad. So Oh, 100%. I think actually it ended up being sort of the perfect major for for me as far as like studying something in an academic setting because I learned a lot about the theory of aesthetics from different cultures. So, you know, what are things that everybody sort of can agree is beautiful? <laughs> and what are right. things that are um, sort of from an edict or emic perspective, beautiful? Mm. And, and how to respect different ideals of beauty. Um, and so for me, and, and how people live on a day-to-day -day basis, which is, you know, what anthropology is all about. Mm -hmm. So speaking yeah. of aesthetics, since you've mentioned aesthetics, let's talk about Instagram and social media, because obviously that has been such a huge uh, force in just the way people think about design in general. I mean, Instagram has so much cultural cachet. And, and you know, we joked about the internet, but like the internet is really, I think, changing the way people think about design in general. Um, and obviously you have a rabid Instagram following and for good reason, I am, a, I am one of those rabid followers. Um, He's foaming at the mouth right now. <laughs> so just so, <laughs> so rabid. Um, but yeah, I'm very curious. I mean, so obviously you have a huge following. You have almost 200,000 Instagram followers at the time of this taping. Um, and you know, how has Instagram just reshaped your thinking about design and, and or changed you know, the way you think about interior design? I, I really love Instagram as a creative medium. Um, I'm really into creative journaling and I, I have been since I was a little girl. And um, for me, it's just sort of a new way to have a creative journal and to kind of um, have a place where I can look back and see how my tastes have shifted and changed and grown and what I'm into in a particular time in my life. Um, and I think that, so I, I have my own personal account, which is at Justina Blakeney. And then last year I started an account for my blog and my business, The Jungalo. And they're very different accounts. And I feel like I've learned totally different things um, running each account. So mm -hmm. The Jungalo mainly focuses on, on interiors and it's our own work. And then we share other people's work as well who hashtag um, their, their images with our Jungalo style hashtag. Can you... And it's been really Sorry, can you describe yeah. for can you describe for listeners what a jungalo is exactly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so a jung jungalo is a word I coined, which is a mix of jungle and bungalow, and it's the name of my blog. It's also sort of what I consider to be my signature design style. It's very colorful, it's very patternful, and it's full of life. So lots of plants, um, house plants, flowers, cacti, succulents, um, just the idea of sort of surrounding yourself with nature um, and living in a way that kind of represents your own self and your own personality. Um, so we kind of started this thing and it just kind of caught on. And <laughs> there's you know, in less than eight months, we've grown our account to over 160,000 followers. And um, the Jungle hashtag has over 20,000 um, images on it. So you can scroll through 20,000 pictures and see how that's people amazing. define Jungle style around the world. And it really is an international phenomenon. And that's, I think, one thing that I also adore about Instagram is the internationality of it. Mm. Um, and how at all different times of day you can go on and see different people in the world and how they live and what they consider to be beautiful. And you can get 
immediate feedback and response about what people think of your images and get sort of a real clear idea very quickly of what resonates and what doesn't and what's controversial and um, just it's it's so fascinating from a sociological perspective to see how these images um, just start to spread and what people take from them and how they resonate for sure around the world yeah uh, so we were wondering um, you've worked on like textile designs uh, you've created mobiles wallpaper hashtags like you mentioned um, what's it like to work in so many different types of projects and mediums I love it. Um, people often, I talk to a lot of young people. I, I've been traveling and doing a lot of different talks and stuff like that. And I think young people are finding it very liberating to see that you don't necessarily have to choose one specific trade anymore. Um, it's so like 1900s to think that way. <laughs> <laughs> so 1900s. Uh, You're like a lampshade I, maker. Right? <laughs> <laughs> It's your next hashtag, have, so 1900s. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I've just, I've, I've had so many different jobs already and careers, and um, and I've done everything from graphic design to interior design, art direction, fashion design, curating. Um, I had a store for a long time. So it's like, and that's, I think, quite typical of a creative that's my age. I'll, I'll be 37 in a couple of weeks. So I think, you know, I talk to a lot of people who live in LA who are my age and who've had a similar trajectory as far as sort of doing lots of different things in the creative, um, in the creative world. Um, and it's so funny because what I'm doing now, doing so much product design, textile design, um, a lot of marketing collabs and stuff like that, I wouldn't have been able to get to where I am had I not had all those different careers because, because of my, my work in graphic design, I know how to make patterns. I know how to you know, do the textile design that I'm now putting on my wallpaper. I, I know I have all these skills that I never would have had if I hadn't have um, kind of just worked as a freelancer and taken all the different kinds of jobs that came my way. You know, right. I can be a stylist. I can I can be a designer. I can be an in, I can do interiors. I can do all of it because I have been for the last 20 years um, without having to choose like one specific specialization. It's more about my style than it is about a specific skill. Mm -hmm. So outside of the design world, what, what other creative fields do you draw inspiration from? Um, I love folk art. So um, whenever I'm traveling, I really try and get down to like local markets and stuff as, as much as I can. Oftentimes I'm inspired by very mundane things. Um, and very mundane objects like one of my favorite places to go for inspiration here in LA is my local Asian grocery market where they have really interesting packaging um, really fun and beautiful like brooms mm, <laughs> stuff interesting. Like that. Um, but yeah I, I think also I, obviously I'm very inspired by the natural world so for me going to botanical gardens um, going to the beach, going on hikes, just being in nature can be extremely inspiring. Um, and yeah, travel, I think. I, you know, I lived abroad for many years. And where, where abroad I, did you live? Um, I lived in Italy for seven years. Amazing. And I lived in Switzerland for two years. So um, I had an opportunity just to travel a lot as a child and as a young woman and um, and still travel whenever I get the opportunity. But I think that being and living, especially living in a foreign country, living outside your comfort zone, every day you're kind of pushed 
to observe as much as you can and take in as much as you can because you are a little bit on edge. You're not 100% comfortable where you are living as a foreigner. Um, and I think that really changed my whole sort of worldview and coming back and living back in the U.S. after those experiences really just opened up my whole my whole mind to see things in slightly different ways and to push myself in different ways than I was used to. And when you're home, it must make your experience of home that much richer. And I, and you know, we, we, in our, in the course of our research, we saw that you just bought a house in LA, which is super exciting. Thank you. <laughs> and you chronicled it on your blog, which um, we followed along with. What surprised you about the home buying process? Just out of curiosity. So much, so much surprised me. I mean, first of all, the way our family is set up, just buying a house and being able to buy a house was very difficult. Um, I own my own business. My husband's a stay-at-home dad, and um, they did not want to give us a loan. So mm. <laughs> it took us, even though we had saved up um, enough for a 20% down payment on the house, we still couldn't get a loan. And we had to wait about a year and a half and do all kinds of, like, not write off a lot of my business write off so that our um our income appeared you know higher than mm. it would have otherwise and kind of just playing all these silly bureaucratic games Yeesh. to get into a house that we knew we could afford um so that was annoying <laughs> <laughs> quite honestly um but also, just given my own personality, I'm very ambitious. So the second we saw our little Spanish-style bungalow from 1926 nestled one block from the L.A. River in Frogtown, I was like, this is our house. <laughs> so 1900s. <laughs> <laughs> oh See, the ha we're, we're going to make this hashtag happen, Justina. <laughs> we're going to do it. <laughs> <You're proud of. laughs> um, so, yeah, so we got, we, we, we sort of fought for it, as you have to do. Now in the LA market, um, there were, you know, 14 bids on the house and then we didn't get it and then we did and it was this big emotional roller coaster. Um, but ultimately now we're in the house and we're in our second round of, um, of renovations and it's really fun and um, I'm just so excited and grateful that we're able to own a little pocket of the city that I love. Yeah, that's so exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, it's really fun. So what advice do you have for folks who are, you know, intimidated by interior design and don't know where to begin in their own space? What would you tell those people? I like to tell people to just start somewhere. Um, it's not <laughs> as scary as it seems. I'm always kind of shocked at how intimidated people are by the process. Um, I think that I'm trying things out all the time and I make mistakes all the time, but you don't like learn what you like unless you try something and then realize that you don't like it. Right. So, oftentimes it's really just about trying something. I mean, I've painted furniture hundreds of different colors. I've painted walls hundreds of different colors. Things come into my house, they go out. I like to think of interior design as sort of a wet canvas where you don't have to just design your home and then you're done and that's it. I mean, if you're like me and you're creative and, and you enjoy the process, it can be thought of as something that's ongoing and your house should grow with you and change along with you as your personality changes and your family grows. So I think not thinking of it as a static thing or as, as a static place, um, 
can actually help to make it feel less intimidating because you don't have to think of the choices that you're making as permanent choices, especially with today's marketplace. You can buy something if you decide after a year you're, you're done with looking at it. You can move it into a different room. You can paint it. You can sell it on Craigslist or Cherish or eBay or Etsy. You know what I mean? Like right, there's there so, so many different many. Yep. Um, to kind of play at home. And that's what I try to encourage people to do is just to to figure out what you like by trying different things out. And then it gets easier and easier. So speaking of that, um, you mentioned Craigslist. Uh, my roommate is about to move out and he owns all the furniture. So I just wanted to kind of selfishly uh, co-op this <laughs> podcast and just use it to get advice to you. Where, like, what should I do? You're like, Craig, should I get stuff on Craigslist, Ikea, what? I'm, I'm lost. So first of all, if you're going to be already in a place and it has no furniture and you've already lived there for a while, I feel like you're at kind of an advantage because you already sort of have an idea of what it's like to live in that space. You already can, you know, know where the light is best and, you know, which room is the coziest that you want to make your bedroom and stuff like that. Cause I always encourage people to live in their house for a little while before deciding to make sort of big investments. I would definitely go to Ikea last I love Ikea. That's I shop good, there all it's the time. too far away. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I try to tell people not to just like fill their house with Ikea stuff and then accessorize because I feel like that kind of just takes the fun but also the soul out of, out of the whole process. I love Craigslist. I adore eBay. Um, I use Etsy all the time um, to find sort of quirkier pieces. Um, Craigslist is really such a great place to start for larger pieces. Um, if you want some classic design pieces or any mid-century pieces, um, I've been finding great deals on Cherish lately. Um, there's, there's so many great ways to shop and to plan out your space now with different, you know, apps and stuff like that. But I really think you have to kind of understand what the flow in your house is going to be. And you can give yourself the permission to decorate slowly. Well, there you um, go, Jeremy. Sure, you yeah. have your you have your homework now. That's good. Yeah, I was <laughs> I was intimidated by Craigslist, but I feel like I now have the green light, and I'm gonna go for it. Yeah, you should definitely go to Craigslist. I mean, don't get like I mean I don't know if you want to get like your mattress. Well, you probably still have your yeah, mattress. Yeah, room. my room is not taking not taking my mattress, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, I found so many amazing pieces on Craigslist for such great deals, especially if you can find other people that are moving, and definitely hit up like your local flea markets, and then. Yes, go to the box stores, go to Target, go to Ikea, go to all that kind, like those kinds of places for, you know, I don't know, linens and towels and all that kind of stuff. But sure. get quirky and more fun pieces with soul for the larger items. That's great. That's great advice. I might actually, I know you asked the question, Jeremiah, but I'm going to take some of that advice. You're myself. welcome to that advice. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Justina. Thank um, you. So a bit You're of welcome. a shift, a bit of a shift, but, um, you know, we, I, uh, we wrote a story on uh, Curb.com about uh, 48 black creatives in honor of the beginning of Black History Month. And we got some great feedback from people. I was really jazzed to just see how much positivity uh, there was about, you know, just the need for that kind of conversation. Um, and Justina, you were one of the people on that list. Um, and, you know, I was really excited to be able to include you because your work is amazing. Um, I just find that representation is something that we're talking about so much in just the culture, in, in every industry, in every sector. 
um, on every platform we're talking about representation and the necessity for representation. Um, I'm curious just to hear your thoughts on kind of what some of the boundaries can be for people of color working in, you know, interior design and in architecture, which are professions that are not necessarily traditionally super racially and ethnically diverse, um, and just what your experiences have been in that regard. For readers who are kind of unfamiliar with, or listeners who are <laughs> unfamiliar with me, I'm, I'm biracial, so I'm, I'm half black, half uh, Jewish American, and, um, and so I grew up really kind of skating in these, you know, between cultures and, and definitely identifying as a person of color. Um, and noticing all the time as I continue to notice the lack of diversity in, um, in the design field specifically. And it's something that I'm very, very aware of, <laughs> especially as social media grows. Um, and I, you know, attend events and this and that and, and show up and I'm literally oftentimes the only person of color in the room. Mm. Um, and it can be very isolating and, um, but I have to say, I was just in Atlanta, and um, I'd never been to Atlanta, and I was speaking at the Design Bloggers Conference, and they took us to the Atlanta Show House, which um, is something that they're working on with um, Atlanta Design Magazine, I think is the name of the magazine. Anyway, it was so refreshing. I showed up there and to take a tour of the show house with the designer the architect and the engineers and the owners of this $14 million house that they're building. And they were all black. <laughs> Amazing. That's such a rarity. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I was like, so excited and, and surprised quite honestly, because I feel like in Los Angeles, I've never experienced that before in, um, in my field. And it just kind of opened my eyes in such a different way. And I felt so excited and proud. And I also made me realize even more how, how, um, unused to mm. that type of thing. I was, uh, you know, here in LA, that just does not happen. Um, or if it does, please let me know because I kind of want to be a part of it. Right. <laughs> it was just very refreshing to see a different level of diversity that I just really wasn't used to um, in the in the field of design. So I, I think that, I mean, there's the design world and then there's also the design bloggers world, which I'm definitely a part of as well. Because I have my, my daily design blog and it's a big part of my career and a big part of my world. Um and it's also extremely homogenous and there are so few um, people who are getting the kind of recognition I think they deserve. And um, I think it's starting to change little by little. And as as people um, shed light really on this kind of issue and I've written you know articles about it here and there, but I think there's still a lot of cultural ignorance out there and I think there's still a lot of fear. Absolutely. And, I mean, as demonstrated by what's going on in the political climate right now, I don't want to get too political, but you go can ahead, see please. <laughs> we won't stop you. <laughs> I mean, I'm just watching Trump do all these things all over the country, <laughs> and I think everybody is just standing, looking, you know, and I, I'm just kind of dumbfounded, you know, because it's really quite easy to be sheltered um, from that kind of climate and, and that kind of moral atmosphere when you mm -hmm. live in a place like LA or New York and you're just not exposed to people who are overtly racist right. like that. And, um, and so I think it's usually much more insidious and, and much more kind of covert, even though we hear it and we see it. Um, 
But so, yeah, I don't know. I could talk about this subject for, for a long time, (laughs) but I think that, um, the underlying factor is that it's so refreshing to see, you know, places like Curb kind of highlighting designers of color and architects of color and this stuff, because I, I do find I get, I get inundated with emails. I get so many young people of color who are studying design or who want to be stylists or who want to, you know, write books and do some of the stuff that I've had the opportunity to do. And they just don't have the kind of, um, mentorship or role models that they should be seeing around. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's happening everywhere. It's happening in Hollywood. It's happening in the design industry. And I think by asking these kinds of questions and by creating these kinds of lists, we're, we're doing a service or you're doing a service to really help young people understand that they can become influential designers and artists. And, um, yeah, so we we hope, yeah, thank you so much for the, that's very generous of you. So thank you. And your work is an inspiration certainly to us here at Curb. So yeah, we really appreciate those, those kind words. Um, so we're going to make a bit of a shift now. Uh, yeah, well, we're going to transition from that serious topic into (laughs) our very, uh, silly lightning round, which we're considering calling a thunder round because it's slightly slower than lightning. (laughs) Um, still as electric though. What is your go-to karaoke song? Oh my god! I don't know why this song is coming into my head. This that's like that's like a lie, but I want to say "On the Wings of Love." Oh my god! And you sound great. <laughs> yeah, if it's not, make, make it that. Yeah, exactly. Change, change it. I've ever sung that song in Kevin. It's coming into my head, so I'm gonna go. Ahead. Sure. All right, you heard it here first. <laughs> um, so. We've watched uh, a number of videos of you beautifying apartments and making alterations to apartments. And I was wondering, uh, what's your record on getting security deposits back? <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah, I wrote about this in my book. I I usually just give up on that immediately. And, <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, very liberating. It's so liberating. And, and it's also um, stupid. But, <laughs> but if you, from the beginning, sort of succumb to the idea of not getting it back it's amazing then how you feel when you're painting (laughs) so free you must feel so free so you've never you've never tried to make the argument of like but i made it better oh i have tried many have tried fewer didn't work (laughs) (laughs) landlords have their own ideas about things um, what else? Okay, so we are both big fans of your Face the Foliage uh, Instagram account, which if any listeners uh, are not aware, it's uh, a series of, of drawings of people with um, foliage as part of their hair, basically, right? Is that... It's their whole, it's their whole, whole face, face, not just their hair. Okay, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's eyes, it's eyelashes. Portraits made completely out of leaves and flowers. Right. And it's as awesome as that sounds. I mean, it really is incredible. It's great. So <laughs> I'm and not it's just like... saying that because Justina's on the other end of the phone. Um, and it seems to be uh, like uh, 80 to 90% just portraits of people and then 10% Frida Kahlo. And we, were, we were wondering what the deal is with that. That is so true. Um, and that's very funny. So when I first started doing Face to Foliage, um, I had a few people say like, oh, you should try and do, you know, famous people. And I was like, oh, that sounds hard. But if you, if you kind of can pick people who have a very iconic look right. or, or certain things that, you know, are very specific to them, like Frida Kahlo's gorgeous unibrow, um, <laughs> it, 
it makes it easier to like identify somebody when you're trying to collage them out of leaves. Um, so I, I did my very first attempt at making a face the foliage that looked like somebody specific was a Frida Kahlo one. And um, I think also just because Kahlo in general, as a woman of color, as someone who's got this boho kind of, she's like queen of boho and, you know, an artist and just so incredibly talented. I definitely think she's, um, you know, just one of the people compare. I mean, I feel I'm humbled to even say that people compare me to her, but I think um, stylistically I'm so inspired by her as well. So I think it's just one of those things. People love Frida Kahlo and, and it just makes sense to make her out of leaves and flowers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And And when you're looking at them, it really does make like the most (laughs) sense. Uh, So you mentioned how much you love to travel. We were wondering uh, if you could spend only eight hours in one city, what city would it be? And then if you had to like live for a long period of time in a city, if that would be a different place. Well, that's so hard because I haven't been to so many cities. So I feel like I would want to choose something, someplace I've never been before, but then that's really risky. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're only there for eight hours. So So, uh, for eight hours somewhere that I've already been, I think I'd probably go back to Marrakesh um good answer i yeah okay so i'm gonna go to the hammam i'm gonna go to the markets i'm gonna there's so many things that i want to do in marrakesh so i'll go there um for eight hours and then to live what was the the second part to live for the rest of my life or a long period of time we, we don't we're not gonna banish you there for the rest of your life <laughs> don't banish me don't banish me i love la um so gosh Ooh. and it doesn't have to be somewhere you've already been it can be a new just a new place a, that you would like. Let's new, do it. A new place to try. Um, I kind of want to go to Brazil. So take me there. <laughs> do it. Maybe maybe Rio. I don't know. I've never been to Brazil, but um, something's pulling me pulling me there. So let's I think you'd, time. I think you'd love it. I went to Brazil over, over the Christmas holiday, and it was unbelievable. So. Oh, and I want to learn to speak Portuguese. I speak Spanish and Italian, and I think that Portuguese needs to be next on my list. All right. Fair We've got it all planned out. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Right. Done well, it. Thank you so much for uh, for talking to us. Yeah, thank you so much. This is so much fun. I don't know. Thank you guys. Such an honor to be here, really. The honor was ours. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. <laughs>